This is a special God Pod which was recorded as part of our McDonald Lecture Series 2016. The McDonald Lecture Series is a series of lectures generously sponsored by the McDonald Agape Foundation. We hope you enjoy it. fascinating lecture from Ian on the problem of the problem of evil and um, we get just to tease out some of the implications of some of the things you've been talking about Ian this evening I guess my, my first question I guess a simple one which is um, uh, when Jesus asked us and encouraged us to pray deliver us from evil what do you think he meant well what I think the, the sort of the, the NICOT translation of that tends to personalize it, right? Yep. The, the, Delivers from the evil, from the evil one. one. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think, I mean, one needn't make it simply the adversary, but uh, I think that the, 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 or the time of trial, temptation, all those sorts of things are about, I think, our agential responsibilities for evil um, and, you know, being, you know, not to be complicit in sin. That's how I, that's obviously the burden of my, of my, of my paper would want to push it in that direction. Yeah. And of course, also from the evil actions of others upon us, that would be the other sorts, okay. of, yeah. sorts of issues that would come up. So you want to say it's, it's deliver us from our, our, our own complicity in, the, in evil, in evil actions, and the evil actions of others on us, rather than evil states of affairs. Because yeah, you wanted to argue that evil is essentially moral evil, not yeah, I'm, I'm, any, I'm, any I'm, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with evil as states of affairs language. Okay, yeah. yeah. What about, what about the, um, the doctrine of providence? I'm just thinking of that, of that, because I guess Christians have always thought about providence as, if you like, God's hidden work within the events of history and events that happen to us in some uh, mysterious way, that God is working his purposes out as the years proceed, yeah. that in some way providence is the kind of hidden, guided hand of God you know, behind apparently confusing events. How would you interpret the doctrine of providence within the... the, the well, I, I, I hope, I mean, I, this may be, you know, again, it's awful compressed at the end there, I know, but the point of the, the hope for things coming out and the idea that God, in fact, can draw good out of humans' evil deeds and out of situations that are situations of, of, of intense suffering, I think is absolutely a crucial belief in, in, of human uh, uh, Christian existence. What I wanted to emphasize there uh, was that we that, that the realization of that and the recognition of that is precisely a matter of faith and hope, not a matter of present vision. Um, and so, uh, when we my, my my concern about again, this is why it's very very important to say that I don't want to call states of affairs evil. I also don't want to call them good. <laughs> um, I just think that to, refraining from that actually gives us a space to engage the particularity of particular individuals and circumstances in a way that doesn't prejudge what's going on. And so providence is crucial here as a means of, of faith that in our always imperfect, tentative, and because we're fallen, I believe, sinful discernment, nevertheless, God is working to move things towards that day when we will say all, we will be able to say with Julian, all, all is well, all is good. And where, you know, we, we don't know what we'll be like, but we know that when we see him, you know, we will be like him for we'll see him as he is. I mean, those sorts of, those sorts of things are crucially important, but 
That precisely it's the faith that it is an ongoing process, that God is at work in ways that we have to discipline ourselves to try to see, but we don't see yet, and therefore to adopt the God's eye position, which is what I worry about with the good evil language I want to avoid. Yeah. You helped us um, very clearly see what the problem is, um, uh, the, the trilemma that you identified mm. for, uh, for us. Um, but uh, the, the problem still remains when you want to talk about human sinful action, doesn't it? That is still a problem. Yeah. Um, and you haven't, uh, have you helped us work out how we deal with that problem, or you just want us to identify the problem? No, I got nothing on that. I think... I think, I think uh, <laughs> But I think that's really important because I think that um, there are, as I uh, said in, the, in my lecture this afternoon, I think there, there's really a, a, a fundamental trade-off that, uh, that, well, there are lots of fundamental trade-offs, but one fundamental trade-off on this particular question is solutions to the problem of evil, putative ones, uh, the ones that are most consistent, tend to um, downplay God's power. And to downplay God's power certainly relieves God of responsibility for evil, but limits God's power to redeem, because that's part of what God's power is. Um, I have no, and I think on a doctrine of creation from nothing, I mean, there are all kinds of, you know, Thomas Aquinas goes out of his way to try to show how it really is a kind of privation of the good, but he finally ends up, you end up with, well, why doesn't God, is privation of grace, that's why I sin. Well, why didn't God give me enough grace? I mean, you could play that all day. So I think that, I want to emphasize that where moral evil is concerned, it is there is, as far as I can see, no answer that we glimpse prior to the eschaton, and I think we have real reason there, good biblical basis, to call those sorts of things evil. That good, I mean, obviously we can misidentify what's good and evil. For thousand, you know, 2,000 years, Christians didn't have much problem with slavery. Most people wouldn't want to say that today. So it's not that we have infallible judgment there either, but that in principle, those are the sorts of things where good and evil language is productively deployed, partly because it means I can counsel you know, the bishop if he's doing evil or, you know, the dean if she's doing good and, you know, say well done <laughs> or not. Um, you know, there I think it has, it has some punch and some importance. Um, but, but no, there's no, I have no, uh, I, think that where, I think that's where the problem really is. That's where the, there is a problem of evil. The other one is where I think there's a problem that is, the problem actually has to do with our deployment of the categories. But I suppose, I know I disagree with you, I just can't quite work out why. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, I suppose part of the problem with the, the distinction you're wanting to make between moral evil and states of affairs, which, which is a very helpful distinction, is that they're not that easily separated, yeah. are they? No, there you're actually right. Well, this is, you know, this is the privilege of doing a lecture. I do things in, you know, very yeah. clean-cut forms where it looks really easy. In fact, well, I mean, take the flooding example, right? Um, you know, flooding is a natural evil, but of course, you know, if people are building in floodplains or, you know, there are all kinds of ways in which human evil, human sinful action, what I would call evil in the strong sense, exacerbates natural problems. So in that sense, yes, can you parse, I mean, uh, are things always clearly delineated? No, but again, I think that's also part of where we, we sort of want to think about how are we approaching topics and where are we, you know, how are we using the language and where it's being deployed? Because I, th I think we all have, I mean, I, I should just speak for myself, but my suspicion, extrapolating from my own experience, is that there's a deep Manichaean tendency in human beings. And I think that's part of the, I think that's part of the fall. And I think that's, I, like, I think Bonhoeffer's indications about how you interpret Genesis 3, uh, 5 are helpful there. And that I want to suggest what I'm proposing is a kind of discipline that I think may, uh, help the way in which we discern those sorts of things. But, but absolutely, they're not easily distinguishable. 
And I guess, because given where you started from, which is the problem of evil gives us a little a, a problem for the existence or the goodness of God. I mean, that's the classic statement mm. of the problem of evil, that um, the existence of evil questions either whether God exists or that he's good, which is your yeah. Epicurean trilemma. Um, I suppose starting from, from, from that point, uh, I guess I'm wondering how, how we can get around describing something like existence of cancer, for example, as anything other than an evil, because it does raise a question mark about, over the existence or goodness of God. Someone who is going through that experience, um, you know, will very often ask that question or someone, you watch that happen to someone who's close to you and you think, you know, did God create this kind of world where this kind of thing uh, happens, especially when you get to, to, to pain? Yeah, yeah. And I suppose, I suppose the difficulty I have in saying that it's neither good nor evil uh, somehow leaves it still somehow in the, in the responsibility of God that he's created this world that is such a world in which this thing, this thing happens. And so that still, still gives me the problem of whether I can believe that God is good uh, or exists at all when those things happen. Yeah, I mean, there is a real, I mean, that, th- uh, I mean, suffering and pain and misery are, are real, real problems. That's, I mean, that they, are, that they are problems I'm not wanting to deny. I'm not, I'm, again, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the language used to describe them. Now, what do I, how do I respond pastorally? I mean, of course, even to talk generally about a pastoral response is a bit of a cheat because there's always specificity. But, you know, fundamentally, why does someone have this? Why do things happen? The answer is, I think the theologically correct answer is, I don't know. And I think the, the worry about good and evil bits is that it actually suggests a way in which God is interacting with that that maybe, I mean, I'm, I'm, if, somebody said, if somebody tells me as somebody suffering from cancer or whatever it might be, I consider this an evil. You know, my first response is going to be, well, let me tell you how the lecture I gave and how really you should be talking differently about this. I mean, that's not the, that's not the point. Um, again, this is, this is where, I mean, theodicy is always, you know, a step back from that kind of piece. But I think what I would want to say, I mean, and again, there are, you know, there, there are examples one can give that make it easier to sort of get at this than others. But um, it is worrisome to me when, um, and just in talking to people who have uh, family members who have severe intellectual disabilities. And, I mean, there are, there are real struggles there. I mean, Frances Young's uh, memoir um, uh, uh, about her, her son Arthur is, you know, shows the, the, you know, the, the, the incredible difficulties that, that everyone involved, that both the, the, the person with disability, the family, loving members, everybody works with it. But a key, uh, one, one thing I get out of that book, there are many things to get out of it, is that the idea that, well, the solution is for this to be healed in heaven is not the solution. And if that's the case, then, then in that sense, at least for that perspective, evil is not the right response to it. There's, there's, it's clearly something that causes tremendous anguish and pain on a day-to-day basis. But I think that's just part of, I mean, that's, that's a, a tricky, difficult, but absolutely essential part of what it means to work through. And I think by, by not calling it evil in that strong sense, what it enables is actually to be able to perceive the goodness and beauty in the lives of all those people who are involved, whereas otherwise I fear it can get cut off. Again, but that doesn't mean that one reflectively says, oh, really, it's good that this happened. That's not it either. I mean, it, it is, it, I mean, it's, it's a, you know, it's a gesture. I mean, I, I, I don't, <laughs> again, I'm not, I, I don't, I, it isn't something I want to ram down people's throats, although in a lecture I had to sort of do a ramming kind of <laughs> rhetoric. Um, but it is a way I want, I, I sort of want to suggest about thinking about things a little bit differently. 
I mean, Frances Young's um, is really challenging, isn't she, when she yeah. talks about, for example, she's, she says that um, her son Arthur could not be resurrected in a, a what, what we would consider to be a perfect body because he wouldn't then be Arthur. Um, that the reality of his lived existence um, is what is raised. Um, and that is a really challenging thing to hear. But one of the things she says is that it helps us to notice that we all are disabled in various yeah. kinds of ways, that Arthur knows himself, has no choice but to be utterly dependent on others. Um, uh, we have disabled ourselves, most of us, by choosing to be independent, um, as though that was a, you know, innately a good thing, uh, whereas the doctrine of the Trinity might suggest that it's not yeah. an innately good thing. So there are, I mean, I think there are lots of very helpful ways in which you're unpacking are automatic assumptions about what's good and what's bad. And that I found very, really very helpful. But, but I also wanted to pick up a bit um, something you said several times, um, which I found both profoundly helpful and also quite scary, which is that God at all times loves every person fully for their, because they're fully good because he made them fully good. Um, I'm not quoting you exactly, but you said something. Yeah, you no, I, 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 don't, yeah. I don't find it an, an, an oppressive uh, interpretation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so what about um, uh, somebody like Calvin saying, there is that about us, every single one of us, that God hates because, um, well, because of the sin. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not, I mean, I, there are, insofar as we sin, there are things that stand under the judgment and condemnation of God. But um, the point is God elects the rejected. God loves the sinner. I mean, that's, uh, so I think that um, as, you know, uh, you wouldn't die for somebody who's, who's good, <laughs> right? So I, I think that there is, um, yeah, I, I would want to hold to that. I want to kind of just follow up one thing about the Arthur um, story. Um, my good friend and former late colleague, Nancy Eastland, um, uh, somebody who was very formative in my thinking about some of this stuff, uh, partly just because uh, I, I knew her well. Um, and she, uh, Nancy had, um, you know, uh, I mean, I think she was in surgery every two or three years of her life from the time she was two till she died. Um, and, uh, and nevertheless did some remarkable uh, uh, theological and sociological work. She's really a sociologist. She considered herself more than a theologian. But one of the things that, that, uh, that, that she's written about, and, and she's talked about somewhat, as well, uh, somewhat with me as well, is just the idea that, and again, this is the difficulty of sort of the good evil. You know, just, you know, if you had asked me, is it great to be you know, born with you know, horrible spinal difficulties that I've had that have required all this intervention, all the pain management, and you know, everything. Of course I wouldn't wish this on myself or anybody else. But if you told me that my place in heaven will be not like this, I really wouldn't be sure I knew what that meant because this, it is as this person I am that I have come to know God and know God's love. And to be radically other, um, uh, would be, would be sort of like the, the, the similar point of the would, would be not to be me. Now that doesn't mean, no, of course, she had surgery. It isn't like, you know, okay, God made me like this, so I'm gonna suffer. She, she had surgery, she's trying to make herself better. Again, that's part of the discernment process, but simply that it's all a mistake, it's all wrong. I simply reject this as who I am would be rejecting myself. And it's that, it's, 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 it's dealing with that, um, that witness and witness of others uh, like that that, I, that I'm trying to get at. 
or at least that's one thing that prompts my thinking. Which I think is, is, a, is a very helpful notion for us because it, as you say, it does stop us assuming what we, we think we know what is good and what is evil. And I think what you've offered us is a very, very good corrective to our very easy assumptions that we know exactly what God ought to do and what he ought not to do. And that usually equate to what, with what we would do and what we mm. wouldn't do. And it's not quite as straightforward as that. So I, I want to just go back to the, the you, you were saying that um, for, for you, evil is um, uh, contradicting the will of God, not a privation of good. And I suppose I, I want to just, just, and I can see what you mean by saying, you know, we don't want to say, well, just because you, you, know, um, you don't conform to a particular image of what a human being needs to look like, that's a sort of lack of some, some sense. Um, but in other ways, I, I think... It is a lack. It's just that I don't want to equate the lack with not, with not, with okay. not goodness. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I want to just, just slightly defend the idea of the privation of good, because I think this still has some use for us. Uh, you were saying a little while ago how, uh, you know, we asked, why does a certain thing happen? Um, you know, why does something that, that we don't like happen to us? And we just I, I don't know. And it seems to me we, we need to come up with a reason why we, we don't know. And I think that the privation of good argument helps you with that because it kind of says that, that actually you know, that God has created a, a world that he says is good. And yet somehow there is a force at work within that world that is trying to destroy that world. And that is what we call evil. That it, all that tries to destroy what God has made and send it back to the, to the, to the nothingness. And... Um, and so, in other words, what the, the, the provision of good argument enables you to say is actually, well, of course we can't explain why evil happens, because evil, has, evil is, it has no point because it's pointless. It has no meaning because it's meaningless. That's the def definition of evil. It has no meaning. It's a nothing. It's a sort of yeah, it's yeah. A meaningless, meaningless thing, which always gives an account of why we can't really say anything meaningful about it. Uh, and I, I actually find that quite a helpful idea that, that it gives an account as to why I can't give an answer to the problem of suffering and the problem of evil. It still leaves me with a question about what, how I deal with it, which is why I think you've been really helpful tonight in just saying to us um, that actually the, you know, the, the evil is an occasion for discerning vocation. I think it's a really helpful idea. But I still wonder whether there is a, still a place for the privation of good. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I mean, it's, you know it's, privation of good has just been held by a lot of theological losers yeah. like Augustine and Aquinas and Luther Ooh, and Calvin. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, you know, I, 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 so, so, yeah, I, I don't feel particularly comfortable going against the majority of 2,000 years of Christian tradition. So, I'm, you know, I'm deliberately being provocative with it. Yeah. And, and, it, and it may be, it may be in fact, that uh, yeah. it's not a good place to go. But, but, but what I wanted to, I mean, again, I, I take that, I mean, precisely in, in the I mean, I think, honestly, of the absurdity of the way Leibniz applies the category of metaphysical yeah, evil. Yeah. I, I did want to push the point, well, doesn't that really go all the way down? Um, again, it's not that there aren't lacks or privations, and, and in fact, lacks or privations of goods. Uh, it's, but it's just that, is that, um, is that, well, if you, if you go that way, I mean, it, it, again, I, as I explained with the rod, there are lots of very attractive things about the model. It does, it does a lot of good work in the sense that it doesn't give evil any substance. It shows that it's fundamentally parasitic. It does a lot of interesting things. Um, but I, I guess part of it is I don't, I want to leave the, uh, where there really is evil, I want to leave it wide open. I don't really want any explanations of it. I mean, I just think that's part of the, that's part of the shock and horror that goes with it. I don't want us to be comfortable with it. And I don't want to, and, I, and, and that's the other thing that I guess, and I, and I realize this is a minefield, and I've probably said things that I shouldn't have said on a lot of <laughs> levels, but um, uh, certainly we want to challenge evil when it comes up, as I've defined it. 
I also, I, I don't want to suggest, and this is why my sort of final uh, invective against Pope, I don't want to suggest complacency with respect to various things that I say we shouldn't call evil uh, or, or good either. It's, it's not a matter of, um, of, uh, of letting it be. It's, 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 I, I don't, I'm hoping it, what I'm suggesting doesn't make any of those circumstances of, of suffering, misery, pain, and so forth any easier to deal with. Um, what I'm hoping is that it makes our ways of dealing with them ones that are more open to various ways of helping to see how people live through them in community, uh, in, in the confidence that God is the creator who's somehow there. But uh, again, I don't want to call him evil or good, and that may, be, that may sound like something where I'm just sort of pulling back and just, just being wishy-washy or, or prevaricating. And, that, and again, if, that may be the, if that's the upshot, then it's a failed approach. Uh, where it would work is if it, if it provides a, a framework for a more uh, disciplined and caring encounter with people. So the, the sort of standard question that every pastor gets from somebody bereaved or suffering, mm. why is this happening to me? Where do you go with that, Ian? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you don't stop there, obviously. Then you hear more about, you know, I mean, I want to hear what people, what somebody's, as a pastor, what somebody's experience is and how I can uh, be a sign of God's presence and care and love in that experience. But I think at, at, at a bottom line, um, I, mean, uh, I mean, you know, the, so the classic bad pastoral response is it's God's will, yeah. right? And, you know, I think most people today are pretty comfortably repulsed by that, rightly so. Um, I think there, there's sort of, a, again, there's kind of a, a reverse response that I've heard some folks say, which is, well, this is something that has nothing, that, I mean, basically that God's absent from it. Um, and then I'm worried about, well, if, if that's the pastoral response, that's, that's really a counsel of hopelessness, ultimately. And I think that, well, you don't, Christians don't want to give facile hope. Uh, and I'm not saying people are trying to do that when they make that response as, as an intentionality, but I think that's, that is logically the message that's communicated. You don't want to, you don't want to, remove the ground for hope either. Uh, and so I think a confession of, of pious agnosticism uh, uh, is, is, is at least where I want to put myself as I go in an encounter like that with somebody who's in a, in a, in a bad situation. Because I guess with, um, and I think what, where, you, where you've taken us to, which is in some ways how we respond to particular circumstances, states of affairs, which we don't too jump, quickly jump to, you know, saying is good or, or evil. Um, probably, probably is, I think, where a Christian understanding of, 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 of evil gets to. Because it strikes, strikes me often in discussions with, with, with atheists who say, well, you know, the problem of evil therefore proves the, 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 the non-existence of God. And I kind of want to say, well, okay, fine, you know, maybe you've del deleted God. Um, have you solved the problem of evil? Well, you haven't really. Mm. You've still got to deal with it. And actually what you have done is you've taken away any hope that anything, anything might be any different or that there might be real kind of radical change. And um, so actually at the end of the day, it comes down to what you do about it rather than how you explain it. Yeah, I think that's part of what, I mean, I think that fundamentally with, with all kinds, of, even with what I want to, where I want to keep evil, I think that's always the, 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 the I mean, it's, it, there's, uh, my, one of my teachers, James Cohn, had a, a great line um, because of course for, uh, for the founder of, of American black theology, and uh, you know, one of the critiques that was leveled against him by other, uh, particularly secular uh, black activists, was that, you know, that fundamentally this is a 
you know, this is pie in the sky, this is, you know, the false consciousness, all the sorts of tropes. And, uh, you know, where does evil come from? And, he's, and, and his response was, look, um, I don't claim, as far as I can see, Scripture never really tells us wh where evil comes from. What it tells us is God's response to evil and how God calls us to respond to evil. Um, and I think that's the, yeah, as you say, that's, that's where, that's really what it's about. And so the question is, what sorts of language use and, and practices in the church, habits in the church may promote that better? And, and of course, one of the things, um, well, the thing that God does, as far as we can see, in response to the problem of evil is Jesus. Mm. Um, Jesus who comes to live our lives and suffer our suffering and death. Why is that a good response on God's part to the problem? Um, well, I, 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 here's where I do like Aquinas. Um, Aquinas is, you know, is perfectly happy to say that God could have saved us in some other way. <laughs> um, there's nothing necessary about that. But uh, Aquinas, it's interesting, when you, when you read Aquinas, particularly in the third part where he talks about Christology, which is really uh, you know, just going through Jesus' life as most of the questions, he almost never ends up saying, well, it had to be this way. He always says it's convenience, you know, it's, it's, it's appropriate. It sort of, it, it seems to go with the way God is, that it should be that way. Um, uh, so, I, I mean, uh, why is it good? I, I, I fear that to answer, to answer it in those terms would be to put myself in a view where, okay, these are all the possibilities and this is sort of the way it has to be. I think that, you know, given what it happens, isn't that good news? But it's not news I would have anticipated. It reminds me there, you know, there were several, in fact, oh, I know it's there, Robert Jensen is really bad on this, I think, who has an argument as to why God has to be Trinity. If God weren't, you know, in order to be a person, you've got to have an other and there has to be an eternal other and so on. So, you know, he has this very elaborate argument, which he gets from Richard of St. Victor in a way, that God has to be trying. And I just think there's something I mean, it's, 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 it's a very thoughtful and well-constructed argument, don't get me wrong, but I think fundamentally it's misplaced. I think the response is, oh, isn't it a blessing that we have a triune God as it happens? Not that God sort of, we have to show that God had to be that way. And I think the same way about Jesus' um, uh, uh, yeah, the, the mode of, of the atonement. I mean, uh, much as I like Anselm in other places, I think the kind of, uh, I mean, precisely thinking about it remoto Christo, uh, as though, okay, here's, here's a logical system that shows why this really was the only way out, uh, actually diminishes the good news of it. Because the good news of it is precisely its giftedness, not the fact that it, that it conforms to a logical necessity. That was Godpod a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try.